I remember breathing and it's like my breath dropped all the way down, like into deep into my belly. My ribs expanded and I was like, oh, I'm home. Was my first experience. Having grown up and being adopted and trauma, didn't have that visceral um, somatic sense of being home in my own being. And so I credit this medicine to being able to help locate my home. And a lot of people that I work with, I hear that also like, oh, this is me. Oh, this is my body. This is me embodied. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrup. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. Well, I am thrilled to welcome on this week's show, Dr. Liz Esselin. Dr. Liz is a psychologist. She's the founder and CEO of the Lotus Collaborative and Luminous Healing Center, which is providing MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. She also has one of the coolest bios. She's also a shamanic energy and psychedelic medicine guide. Welcome to the show, Dr. Liz. Thank you. So happy to have you. You know, when I thought about having you on, I know there's this emerging work around MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, and you're really leading the emergence of the space. And I was really hoping we might dive into all the possibilities for healing and deepening the human soul through, through MDMA. How does that sound? I love it. I can't say that I'm leading because this has a been a dance that's been happening for a long time with so many beautiful people carrying this movement. And I feel like I just got invited to the dance and I am having a blast. So I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. This, this movement has been growing momentum over many, many years with a lot of really everybody kind of playing their role to move it, move it forward. And um, yeah, just thrilled to have this conversation. I think a good place to start is you know, we'll get into the kind of mechanics of it and maybe even some of the science behind MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. But I think a good place to start is actually the experience, right? Like, what's it like to take MDMA? And, you know, I think back in my own journey, and I have two very, like, vastly different experiences that I've had around this. And, I, you know, MDMA has been part of my journey for many years, over 20 years. And I think back to the first time <laughs> it was the early 2000s. I was in my 20s. You know, I walk into a, a warehouse where there's techno playing and a friend invites me to take some ecstasy and he hands me a bag of three or four colorful pills and he says, take one an hour until you can't Ooh. feel your feet. Wow. Right. And this is not this is not how we do it these days, right? Especially in the <laughs> psychotherapeutic setting, right? But this was the you know, this was the rave movement of the late nineties yeah. and early two thousands, right? There's there's you know, there's kind of pounding techno music and there's black lights, glow lights, people wearing bright colors. Bouncy houses. Bouncy houses. <laughs> pacifiers and suckers and 
just a fe- body paint and a feeling of like one sweaty human body dancing in unison. And, you know, the feeling, the in- internal experience is one of like kind of a, the sense of self gets a little vague, a, a little opaque, a little softened. And the feelings of kind of opening pleasure in the body feels really good to be touched and caressed and, and really kind of a, a heart opening experience. It also c- came with, you know, in this particular experience, it came with like um, sweaty palms, racing heart, <laughs> grinding teeth. You know, this was like essentially street drugs, right? Underground street drugs and not regulated, illegal. Um, but at the same time, an experience, like a, a powerful experience of opening the body and the heart and the mind in a way that was non-ordinary. That was not the way I was relating to normal humans and other humans in my, in my kind of normal life. So uh, it was edgy. It was probably not very safe. You know, I think about the ends of these, these like rave warehouse parties and it looked like zombie you know, like the zombie apocalypse of people just completely <laughs> checked out and fried and coming out at dawn yeah, yeah. to, you know, and just overdoing it, frankly. Yeah. So that's one experience, right? Yeah. You know, and crystal meth hit at the same time. So it's kind of hard to tell that people were walking out after, you know, 15 hours of dancing and this whole transcended experience of us together you know, the daylight's coming out. So yeah, that expression of feeling cracked out, was, I believe really came from that when you're right. coming out like, oh, and transitioning. Yeah. yeah, we didn't, we didn't, you know, this was before like being able to really test what was in the drugs. Right. It was, it was street drugs that who knew what was in it. Very, very unsafe, right? Very yeah. unsafe. But, you know, as, as those in their twenties may do, like, taking taking risks to have new experiences right um yeah so cut to you know a few years ago and being in deep ceremonial spaces with high level of intention and you know the ability to test mdma or sassafras um to know that it's pure and not laced with things like you know fentanyl and other other things that can happen and being in a place of of you know uh, with a few intimate friends and being able to layer in the self-reflection and the personal growth of, you know, being able to move into deeper states of love, self-love and love of others, and really using it as a kind of a sacrament, right? A sacrament to uh, reflect my own divinity. And um, that, you know, that place, using it as a sacrament in a highly contained safe environment uh, has completely impacted my life and really transformed who I am to help me uncover places of closure and trauma in my own heart mind and my own body mind to help me metabolize and kind of process pains of the past that I could love I can love more freely and myself and others so for me that's the that's the possibility right, with MDMA and, and kind of related medicines is uh, it's a healing sacrament. Mm. And I'm just curious. So this, these are a couple of, you know, different ways that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of ends of the spectrum about how, how something like MDMA can be used. And I'd love to just, 
you know, hear from you as somebody that's an expert in this space, like, you know, what is the experience? What help us, you know, understand what is the experience of taking this as a medicine? Amazing. Well, you started out by sharing the personal and it is a very personal. What I would say is at the heart of it is we get in touch with our inner healer. I believe you said something. I wanted to capture it really quick. You said something like it helped me know who I really am. And what I call that sometimes as our soul self, it's also known as inner healer, but we finally make contact with that. Ah, here I am. That's where I am. And oh, is this what's possible? This from this North Star place, can I now orient light and experience and re-experience who I am? Can I go back over my history and now with this North Star, shine a light to illuminate all the angles? And why did that happen? And kind of come to a beautiful piece about what has happened in, in the journey thus far, who, where we've arrived, and now where do we want to go? So I love it as an inner healer, as a North Star. But as you said, it also was used heavily as a street drug. And so it was also a disruptor. It was an emancipator. It was uh, a grand experiment of what could happen. I grew up Catholic. And so really like very narrow window of like what's appropriate and what's not. And then something about that just didn't seem right to me. And I was always very spiritual. And then I tried being a Christian and I love the devotion. I love the, the art of like connecting with something bigger than me uh, and being able to get lost in the mystical. But the doctrines and the rhythms and the ways that they said that one could connect with the divine didn't work for me either because I didn't feel separate. It felt like the divine could dance within me. And so when I experimented with the raves, I was an OG raver <laughs> back in the day. And yeah, it was like this freedom. It was this counterculture just to go like, wait, who am I? And I remember being able to be in a safe space. What was interesting, I think, of being disruptors was I was around people that we were had almost this unspoken agreement that we were really curious and in this together. So we would take care of one another and just hold that sacred space together of where could we go? And I discovered dance and movement and those altered states of how to connect with the divine within. The first time I remember taking the medicine after feeling that anxiety, because it does have an amphetamine process, so it can feel really activating once there is an onset for people. But once you kind of move through that, all of a sudden I remember breathing and it's like my breath dropped all the way down, like into deep into my belly. My ribs expanded and I was like, oh, I'm home was my first experience. You know, having grown up and being adopted and trauma, didn't have that visceral um, somatic sense of being home in my own being. And so I credit this medicine to being able to help locate my home. And a lot of people that I work with, I hear that also like, oh, this is me. Oh, this is my body. This is me embodied. So. That's kind of just the beginning, my on-ramp to this beautiful medicine. Well, look at us. 
two uh, two Catholics talking about the uh, the sacred sacrament of MDMA. <laughs> so love this, you know, the way where you ended this, which is how as a medicine, it really does pull us into body, deep body awareness, yeah. right? Like this is, this is why, you know, it's, it was so helpful in dance parties. This is why it's so helpful in trauma processing and trauma kind of healing. It's why it's so helpful in matters of deepening our capacity to love ourselves and others, because mm -hmm. it really pulls the awareness into the physical body, which is where mm -hmm. all that trauma is stored, which is where all mm -hmm. the joy and capacity to love lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Trauma, a lot of times ends up freezing our body, and it gets locked in without even being aware of it. So this is why sometimes meditation can actually be really activating and can induce a trauma response because these these imprints are frozen in the body and haven't been able to be integrated. So finding safe ways that don't go too quick to have an embodied experience and experience that safety within enables a person to become unfrozen and revisit the trauma material without being re-traumatized. So that's why in trauma treatment, there's been lots of approaches, but sometimes if you go too quick towards catharsis and you want to tell the hardest story and you're, you don't kind of regulate the nervous system in diving into the trauma, it actually becomes overactive, activating and re-traumatizing. And again, that's why even meditation sometimes can do that. So slowing it down, helping somebody have a sense of regulation and safety to then revisit. And the MDMA works because it actually depresses a part of the brain that's in the fight or flight. And so the left amygdala that goes like, we're not safe, we're not safe, or life is not safe, actually gets depressed. And so they believe the mechanism of action for MDMA is that part that would normally respond with that trauma response is not activated. So people then can experience the body and it feels safe. They experience empathy and connection, and they don't see others as a threat. They get to then be with the material, and then they're, they're, they have this aha or understanding without getting re-traumatized. So that's why they believe this medicine particularly could be a really unique treatment for PTSD that we haven't really had in really a lot of other modalities. It's mm, really powerful. Yeah, so powerful, so powerful. Yeah, I've heard that there's this kind of colloquial tale, maybe you, you can, maybe you know something about this, that when MDMA, MDMA was originally kind of deuced and considered as a street drug, the original chemist wanted to call it empathy, right? That, that That's actually the, the primary experience and function is one of empathy, feeling into someone else, feeling our own body, but they didn't think it would sell as well as ecstasy. Right. So, do you know? Do you know anything about this? This kind of the old tale story. Yeah, yeah the old yeah. tales. Of it was founded actually with a pharmaceutical Merck that's still around in 1912. So it it was a compound that was found way long time ago, and I'm curious mm. what they were going to call it. But then the chemist, the American chemist Shulgin, remade the compound. He wasn't too enthralled by it, but he had his friends and his wife get involved in it, and they saw the profound therapeutic effects of it. 
And so it is called in a class of drugs, call it an empathogen, because it does induce this kind of experience of empathy, openness, oneness, transcendence. So it is an empathogen. Before the 80s, before it became a rave or street drug, it was used over and over and over uh, in, in therapy, especially in couples therapy and group encounters. Esalen was really using it. They were having conferences and they were just being blown away, the different practitioners on the therapeutic benefits of it. So then in the 80s, when there was kind of the Reagan era of just say no to drugs and they locked down and they wanted to give it a Schedule One license, it actually went to trial right when they put the Schedule One ban on it. And it was heard before a judge and they presented all the evidence, well over 200 cases to show the demonstrated like therapeutic benefits of it. And the judge even agreed but the FDA said, no, we have this agenda, say no to drugs, it's bad and scary, and they kept it on the Schedule One license. So even then, at its origin of locking it down, it was well known as a therapeutic agent. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I get curious. So like now we're at this this state where this can be offered in limited, you know, in a very limited, a very controlled environment as a tool in psychotherapy. And I'd love to just hear, and I know this is part of what you're doing with the Luminous Healing Center is providing MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. What does that look like? What does MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, if I was a, you know, a client and I wanted to have this experience, what might, what might that be like? Yeah, yeah. So just to kind of pull back bigger frame, it's finishing phase three clinical trials. And the evidence that is coming out is looking pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. After the protocol, and I'll explain the protocol in just a bit, they found that in two months after doing this protocol, 88% had a significant redu reduction in PTSD symptoms. So, I mean, tell wow. me something in mental health that 88% like get better. I mean, antidepressants are... Barely better, if even better than placebo. Uh, you know, so what are current treatments that we offer are, are nowhere close. They found of that 88% that had significant improvement, 67% actually no longer had PTSD. So, I mean, it's kind of unheard of. This is still, again, you know, they haven't finished and fully published at all. They're finishing the phase three clinical trials, but that's the level of efficacy that they're looking at. So I am part of a camp that's called Expanded Access. So in 2017, this treatment, MDMA for PTSD, was given a designated breakthrough therapy status. And that means that they, out, they weighed the pros and the cons. And before it finishes cl clinical trials, the benefits were so strong, way stronger than any potential risk, that they want to make it accessible to the public before it finishes phase three clinical trials. So that's why I'm part of this expanded access camp that's bringing it to people who do have PTSD, who perhaps couldn't get in the clinical trials, uh, one of the phase one, two, or three clinical trials as a participant. Somebody who has 
PTSD can come to us where they go through an assessment process and then they can experience the treatment. So the treatment basically is three experimental sessions. And when they say experimental sessions, that means you're working with the medicine. So before those three, we have three preparatory sessions that are 90 minutes. So just like any kind of therapy, we're getting to know each other. We're establishing what parts of someone's trauma specifically are we going to work on. It's a little bit different than other therapies where maybe if trauma comes up, you're going to work on it. With this protocol, we actually have the agreement that we are going to work on traumatic material. So if it doesn't naturally come up in a session, we will bring it up to be able to work on it. So we have three prep sessions, and then we have an eight-hour day with, uh, with the medicine and the participant. And all of the therapy is done with a therapy pair. So I work with my co-therapist, and we are there at every preparation session, every medicine session, and then immediately after our three integration sessions which are 90 minutes. So three prep, medicine session, three integration sessions, and then we do it two more times. And that is the whole course of treatment. So mm. the principles of threes. Wow. <laughs> very, very comprehensive. Yeah. I mean, just much different experience than I had when my, when my buddy said, gave me three pills and said, take one an hour until you can't feel your feet. <laughs> very <laughs> uh, different. My own experience, my own experience around threes. So, so what is in that, in that eight hour medicine experience? Can you describe what that looks like and what, what's the journey? Totally, totally. So somebody, you know, we come in, we do blood work, we get them all ready. uh, We orient them to the space. We do intention setting. I like to bring in the sacred and the spiritual in a, in a framework that really helps ground the person, even if it's touching on the heart and the body and being grateful for being in this very beautiful place on this beautiful land, all, all the took to get here, kind of a catch up invocation of just setting a really beautiful intention for this day to be beautiful. I like to sometimes involve like a candle Whatever marks some kind of ritual of we are crossing the threshold now and going to begin the journey. Then they take they take the first pill. The dosage is a little bit different from the first session to the second. And they have an option it, to take a supplemental dose about an hour and a half to two and a half hours later. So depending on the person, if they want to go for it, they'll have that option. So we do the first dose. It takes about 30 to 45 minutes for onset and about, I'd say, two hours for like a peak onset. And you start going through this phase where people maybe are a little bit nervous. You can start the beginning symptoms are maybe like a little anxiety because you can feel the the shift, the body working with the medicine, sometimes that can be a little nerve wracking for people, but they have the two of us, they have music, you know, we're holding their hand if that feels really safe and grounding for them or giving them plenty of space. We keep the set and setting very intentional. And so the set is the mindset that whatever comes up is coming up for the highest good and that we will trust that the inner healer 
is revealing this. And it's up to that inner healer and that person to really listen to what's coming up. So even if it seems difficult or not good or hard emotion, supporting somebody to be really curious and to stay with the experience. And because of the medicine, it does help somebody open up to the experience and get more curious rather than shut down on fear and distance. And so that's the set. And then the setting we keep very sacred. We'll keep the lights low. We offer headphones. And so we ask somebody to be able to sit back and they can listen to music and they have eye shades. And we just really create a beautiful space. When I'm sitting with somebody, I am bringing my full soul self. I am meditating. I am doing my work to be really a coherent, clear, um, open guide for the goodness, the inner healer to come forward. So all my meditation experience, all my breathing practices, I am using it in the room to create this force field of just like beautiful love, compassion, and trust in the journey. And then it will go for about eight hours. They'll cycle in and out of listening to music and perhaps coming out and talking about it. We'll start kind of digesting different pieces of things that are coming up. We'll invite them to go back in, listen to the music. So it's kind of this dance for about eight hours. And then the experience tends to start wrapping up around a total of six hours. So we have another two to just kind of like, oh, land, here we are. Like, wow, that was big prep for the night um, that they're going to rest and just remind them of the goal that whatever came up, came up for the highest good. Some people can go so far in getting behind things that they hadn't really realized before that in this process in the end, perhaps even the next morning, which is when we do our first integration session, we do it directly the morning after, Some people can feel fear like, oh my gosh, what did I say? What did I really encounter? So we just really hold the frame of like that curiosity and that came up for the highest good. And like you are, you can be safe with this knowledge so that there isn't kind of a blowback in like, oh, I went too far. We went, don't want somebody to feel too opened up wide. So that's what we're doing a lot. It's just like settling in and trusting in the integration. Hmm. Wow. So powerful. I think we can all feel the possibility of healing in that in that environment and with this medicine. It's really unlike anything else, right? Let's curious to know just a bit more about the trauma healing piece, right? So you mentioned earlier that it depresses the amygdala response, which is that kind of fight, flight, freeze, right? The part of the brain that will that will kind of control threat, respond to threat. And so I'm just curious in this, in this environment that you've described, this experience, how are you working with the trauma? Anything else you could say about that? Because that's really the heart of its use in this way, right? It's a little different than, than some other ways. Yeah, right now, this is, it's, it's really just classified for treating PTSD in this setting, I mean, obviously there's other applications, but we're not allowed to really, really do that, you know, at this moment in, you know, kind of above the board, right? So, 
So just speaking about this trauma healing piece, I'd love to just understand a little bit more about well, that. Well, there are trials going on for the use of couples in Canada with MDMA. So I'm really glad because it's not only just on PTSD, it really is connecting with, it is that empathogen experience and medicine. So connecting with the heart and soul and then extending to the partner and kind of finding the relational heart and soul. So there is that work that is legal and above board that they're investigating. For the PTSD aspect, uh, most people we've prepped so much and they are so hungry to be able to have a relief from trauma, it is on their mind. They have prepared. They have the intentions. They really want to get in there and work on some things that have really frozen them up and kept them locked down. How it comes up tends to be so unique, but um, usually we don't have to implant it. Usually we don't have to say, hey, remember we agreed that we would talk about this certain memory they just already have had that planted. And somewhere in the in the mix, if we have somebody who's a talker, we actually ask them to slow down and put the headphones on and pause and like go inside and check in about that. Like, what does your inner healer have to say about that? Or just going inside and having that experience and that wisdom emerges, that, that knowing. I believe it's because it gets us in touch with our soul self that essential self rather than these parts of us that I use kind of IFS language, which are protectors or managers, and they like to have the answers. There are thinking parts. They, they are kind of the, you could say the ego, the control, but we kind of are able to bypass those and they, they trust us to let that soul self do the speaking. And that's when the gems of like, you know, I, I see it now, like I'm seeing myself, but I'm now seeing myself as a child, but I'm seeing my dad's experience and perhaps what was going on for him at the time, or it's this capacity to kind of go in and they re-experience themselves. I've just used this example of, it was going back and paying attention to other aspects the child was experiencing at the time. So maybe the senses and the smells and they now see the environment and they just are able to go in and have compassion for that little one of like, wow, as me, that younger being just did not have the connection or resources and how scared they were, of course. And they're able to extend that, that deep compassion and empathy for the part of themselves that just was so overwhelmed and frozen and checked out. So it's like they are able to come back online with their humanity rather than that frozen fragmented part. It's like their humanity gets to come back. It just naturally starts unfolding. And then also for the people perhaps that were involved in that trauma, it's like their humanity gets to come back. And even the humanity of the environment or the, the situation or the climate crisis at the time or social construct, it's all of a sudden it's imbued with this bigger perspective and people are able to access curiosity and the sense of clarity and calmness. And from that, some courage to move forward, bringing that full spectrum humanity forward in their life afterward because that part got unfrozen, was reintegrated into their heart and their being 
that part gets to no longer be stuck and it becomes an essential part that is now reintegrated with their being. Mm. Wow. So powerful. It's like a, an accelerant to what really good trauma therapy does, right? Which is, is repairs, brings back together the fractured parts of the soul, the psyche, the self that gets kind of split away in the, in the actual trauma event and, and kind of opens up the kind of energetic circuits between the characters of the trauma, right? I think about my own journey with trauma. A few years ago, I came across what turned out to be a fatal car crash and I was helping some people on the scene and I hadn't realized that someone had been ejected from the car and was like basically dying. And once I realized what was happening, I left there, you know, it was a very, obviously very chaotic scene. And when I left, I left with some kind of regret and guilt about not realizing maybe I could have helped this person that was dying. Right. And I went through several rounds of EMDR therapy, right? And took quite a bit of time. But in that, I realized everything was perfect, right? And I really got in communication with the person that had died and the people I was helping and the first responders and my family who was also there. You know, like there's a thing about trauma therapy where we get, we get out of our kind of myopic kind of narrow experience of what's happening. We get to see the wider vision of these traumatic events that we all carry. It's all, it's just being human. These things happen, right? And, you know, what I hear you saying is like the MDMA actually facilitates that shift in perspective that, so we're not so concretized in the Mm, traumatic event. Yeah. Yeah. That's what tends to unfold, but sometimes it is an actual re-experiencing, but Again, their amygdala isn't going off and it's not registering as a threat. A person can go through the experience step by step again and be like, feel the sight, the smell, the taste, the sounds, and they're, they're there again, but it's not terrifying. They have support. Um, and so then typically it invites the larger spiritual trauma healing, the post-traumatic spiritual growth potential is huge. And that's what I'm really hearing. And what you said is like, all is well, all all was in plan is a huge spiritual gift to really have that wisdom now in your life, that there can be right timing, right place, divine plan and kind of navigate life that way. That's a sacred gift. Yeah. Totally. I mean, the, the big takeaway for me in that trauma therapy for me was like, I was there to support the living, <laughs> you know, and that was not a belief that I had going into the trauma therapy. I thought, you know, I was carrying a bunch of shame and guilt about not helping the dying, but it was a spiritual piece for me was I, I was there to support the living, right? Just super powerful. Okay. One last question before we close, let's play the tape forward. So we think about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when you and I were in underground <laughs> techno raves and yeah, it's, it's, it's. Let's play the tape for 20 years. And what's the role of MDMA? What are the different applications we see? And what's the future of this medicine? Gosh, I'm so glad we're touching on this because we are in the Renaissance. And it feels like everybody and their mother and their father and their half brother is now a, a psychedelic practitioner, their guide, you know. So uh, <laughs> I do actually have. Uh, I am excited and I'm also 
fearful and like too much enthusiasm, if that makes sense. Like it's such a powerful medicine and tool. Uh, And that, you know, I just hear people and they just want to have the substance. But actually, I now call the medicine the catalyst. It's, It's really the threshold guardian. It's the journey that is the true medicine. It's the preparation. It's the experience a person goes on. And then it's the integration that actually is the medicine. And so as we move forward, I want to see really educated, well-experienced guides who can hold the sacredness and the ethos of it and really get out of the unconscious psychic space their own stuff. So I pray that people have really worked on their own stuff and been a humble apprentice. Uh, I think our society has lost the art of apprenticing. And this idea of like, we may be really excited about something, we may have had an amazing experience, but that doesn't mean that you're ready necessarily to start holding space for others. So really just imploring, uh, becoming an apprentice and having that humble heart of like, how can I be of service and hold such a clean, pristine, energetic, sacred space if I am going to be a guide? And then as it unfolds, like having really good guides can help make it a more safe experience. So there isn't kind of this, hey, take three pills and like, we'll sit here together and we'll chant some music. And then there's some bad incidences that happen. And then all of a sudden, this this medicine is taken off the market because I would love to see it be successful in the legalization and a therapeutic tool and agent with people who are really apprenticed in being pure, pure guides, pure guides. So that's my goal is that we all just kind of and do this like beautiful, thoughtful on-ramp in our enthusiasm. And then we can train more people because there is such an interest of how do we live in the sacred? How do we invite the sacred? How do we co-inspire one another to be in the sacred and to be our best selves? Like I would love that 20 years from now that, you know, Rick Doblin has has joked that he wants everybody to take it because it could heal the world and stop the wars. And it's like, that would be the idea of like, to connect people again to their souls and connect to to one another. That would be the goal. Let's just be thoughtful about how Mm. we get there. Amen. Love that vision. Right on. So this is Dr. Liz Eslin. How do people find you if they want to know more about you, your work? Mm -hmm. You named it Luminous Healing Center. So we're doing ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, and we're doing the expanded access work for MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. Should it become a rescheduled drug that's used for therapeutic benefits, then we will be one of the few centers that then would be ready to do the MDMA work should it be rescheduled. Right now, it's only under expanded access. But ketamine-assisted psychotherapy is another, we could have a whole other hour on that one. And that's legal. I think we should. (laughs) Okay, Okay, great, great. So yeah, I think we we might need to have another conversation about the ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, but for another day. Well, this is my friend, Dr. Liz Eslin. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. Maybe more importantly, it helps us 
grow our crazy wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing, one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy.